the Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students. Hi, I'm Kira Church, and welcome to this episode of Raising the Bar with Ayanna Nelson, talking all things pupillage. She is a barrister working at 7BR, specialising in crime, regulatory and professional discipline, offshore and international law. Ayana spent some time working as an Attorney General in Granada before coming to the bar in 2009. Well, thank you so much, Ayana, for coming onto the podcast. It's absolutely amazing to have you. And it'd be really great if we could just start off by telling people a bit about your background and how you came to the bar. Thank you, Kira, and thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure and honour. My uh, background is a little bit convoluted in that I first joined Gray's Inn in 2008, which was the year I started the bar course. I did the full-time bar course at BVC, as it was called then, um, and I was called to the bar in July 2009. That was that year was really my first rush with pupillage applications. Um, I think I'd made one or two applications the year prior. I remember looking back at them a few a few years ago and being absolutely horrified <laughs> with them. But um, that was the first year I really dived into pupillage and it was reasonably successful. But unfortunately, I didn't ultimately get a pupillage, uh, an offer for pupillage. At the time I was working, I was working as a paralegal. Um, I'd been working as a paralegal for at that point probably a couple of years because I'd taken some time out between university and bar school and I also worked during bar school as as a paralegal. So I was pretty fed up with paralegaling at that stage and I was offered the opportunity to go to Grenada which is where I'm from, where my parents are from and I was offered the opportunity to go out there for a while um, to be called to the bar there and practice as an attorney. In Grenada, the, it's a, what we call a fused profession. So there's no distinction between barristers and solicitors. Everybody is uh, an attorney and you do uh, a bit of both. So you are an advocate in court, but you also do um, the, what we would classify as solicitor type work. So for me, it was a no brainer. And I very quickly went, I think within about two, three months, I'd submitted my application to be called and and I was in Grenada. So I went there with the intention of it being for about six to nine months, maybe a year. Um, While I was there, I was going to apply for pupillage. And in my mind, um, I'd apply for pupillage that year, I'd receive pupillage and I'd come back and back to London and get back on track. That didn't quite go to plan in in so far as I didn't even get as far as applying for pupillage that year. I loved it so much and it may not be a surprise to know that the the thing I loved the most, of course I enjoyed the work, but there was a lot of sun and beach involved. So so I loved it so much. (laughs) I'd never leave. (laughs) Well, quite. And that's exactly what happened. So five years later, there I still was, um, a little bit longer than six months. And it was at that point that I thought, you know what, you need to get back on track. Um, As much as I loved it, I I still love it. It's, you know, I've got my best friends are there, all my family are there. But I thought I needed to 
achieve the thing I'd set out to do since the age of about 10. And so I came back. Fortunately, having done, having practiced out there for five years, I was able to apply for a reduction in pupillage. Because although I was already a qualified barrister, because I'd done the bar course here, uh, I had to go through pup the pupillage route. But I was fortunate to receive a six-month reduction in pupillage. So I only had to do a six-month pupillage, which was three months non-practicing and three months practicing, which I did. And uh, yes, and then the rest is history, I suppose you could say. So it, it's long and convoluted, but it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm not sure if I would have done it again in that order, but um, no, it was absolutely, it was great. Wow, that's so interesting. I'm sure you got so much experience whilst working um, in Granada, being able to see the kind of BBC how Barris's ancestors works, if it's a mixed system, which must be so useful in your practice now, I'd imagine. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I mean, there I have a lot of respect for solicitors because I know what they do. Um, I... I have to admit, even when I was in Grenada, it, it was very clear to me that I needed to be a barrister. Um, I, I loved being in court. I was in court a lot. I liked much less the times I was called out to go to the police station at nine o'clock on a bank holiday in the middle of baking a cake. Um, <laughs> so I have a lot of respect for solicitors. Having, um, having done a lot of that type of work, in fact, having done that, yeah, I, ha I have utmost respect for what they do. And uh, it it's not something I would choose to do um, again. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of people, um, I'm applying, well, I will be applying to pupillage going into January. And a lot of people have been saying it's very important to get um, work experience in a solicitor's firm um, because it is so essential to know why you want to be a barrister, I guess, as compared to a solicitor, but also so you have that full understanding of what both roles mean and how both roles work together. Is that something you'd recommend? I know you spent time paralegaling um, beforehand, but would you say that's an important piece of experience to kind of add to your CV as well as the mooting and as well as the mini? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there there are two sides to it, really. Um, there's the what we could call the pessimistic side or pessimistic view, which is that um, you do you work at a solicitor's firm, you do some either work experience or you spend time working as a paralegal to convince yourself that you don't want to do that. But also, I actually think there is a, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of positivity from that, because what's important as you um, start to build your practice in the early days of practicing, both as a pupil, but also as a junior tenant, you need to know what it is that your client wants. Now, when you're dealing with lay clients, it's usually very, it's, it's quite easy to know what your client wants because they'll tell you. But when you're dealing with your professional client, and that's your instructing solicitor, it's not always uh, immediately clear in the early days of practice, certainly, what it is that they're looking for. If you've spent six months, a year, two years working as a paralegal, you'll be instructing counsel all the time. And you, um, therefore, will know what it is that your instructing solicitors are expecting from you. So whether that means um, the quality of your attendance note, um, 
you'll you'll come to find Kira that attendance notes are the bane of the life of all barristers. You have to write a, 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 effectively a report of what happened at court that day because unfortunately solicitors don't um, get the opportunity to come to court anymore. And some people will write very brief attendance notes and some people will write very thorough ones. Um, you might one day your solicitor will say, well, actually, I don't mind, you know, just writing a short note, but it's 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 something that you never really know. But if you've been in that position, you'll know what sort of things a solicitor wants to know, and what things they perhaps don't want to know, and, and it will help you to tailor your practice. Similarly, just in terms of um, knowing the ropes, there are a lot of things that as barristers, we simply don't know, and clients will ask you things about, um, you know, how they might go about getting reca um, recategorized in prison. Well, you know, you pick you as time goes by, you pick up these little nuggets of information. But um, in the early days, that's something, that, you know, you wouldn't know unless you have had that level of engagement with uh, a, a client. So I think um, if you have the opportunity to do some work in a solicitor's firm, whether it's simply a work experience, or whether it's a more formal engagement, working as a paralegal, part-time, full-time, summer holidays, whatever it is, um, absolutely, absolutely jump at the chance. Definitely, especially as, well, I come as a graduate, I spent the past three years, by the time the bar course is over, four years in academia and not getting that practical experience. So I think because of the gap you have between doing pupillage, for most of us, we'll all have that one year, um, if not longer, um, doing the different rounds of applications. It is a very useful time for us to get that practical experience. Um, I know this podcast is all about applying for pupillage, but just a quick question on if you don't get pupillage, what do you think is the best way to look at um, the time ahead of you before you make pupillage? It, it's a good question. And I know, you know, you're right to say that the podcast is about getting pupillage, but the reality is more people will, or there'll be fewer people who are successful than unsuccessful um, because it, that's just the way the, the numbers stack up. Um, I, I think it's really important to use the time productively. Um, that doesn't mean you have to absolutely overthink it. And a lot of people, I think, panic because they need uh, to get a job to be able to survive, but they're not able to get a job in the legal industry um, per se. Don't overthink it. I think do what you need to do in the first instance. But I think where you can, you should try and get some sort of um, legal experience. Now, it might not be paid legal experience. As I say, if you need to work to uh, to make an income, which frankly, most of us do, get a job that, that pays your bills. But alongside it, there are things that you can do to try to, to keep yourself in the game effectively. So things like signing up with the free representation unit, there are different levels of engagement, but effectively, you will be trained in a particular area and according to your availability you'll be assigned cases to work pro bono for people who can't afford legal representation and I think there it's usually in the employment tribunals and I think there's social security work as well that's something that can absolutely be done alongside your 
full-time activities. Now, it might be that you need to take a day off work. Um, a lot of uh, employers these days actually offer you days off to do voluntary work, volunteering or pro bono work. So it could be that you, you're able to factor it in in that way. But I think what we as barristers who are marking your applications are looking for is that you use the time constructively and like I say, don't overthink it if you can't get the absolute, your absolute dream job uh, in you know, your dream law firm or whatever it may be. But continuing to engage with the law, um, continuing to engage with legal practice, it could be going and sitting in the Crown Court for, you know, on your day off just to see a, a trial or see a case that's going on, speak to barristers. All of these things are really, really useful exercises and they don't cost anything. They cost you some of your time, yes, but it's time well spent. So I think anything like that, anything you can think of to just keep your hand in is, is what you really need to be looking to do in that year or potentially years uh, off. Yeah, I think that's so important because everything these days is competitive where it's volunteering or pupillage itself. So I think it's reassuring to hear that it's not just getting the best legal jobs or getting the the competitive jobs it is just showing your ongoing interest in the areas that you want to eventually go into whether that is just sitting in court and kind of showing that you want to be exposed to to the law and yeah that's <laughs> showing that the legal career is what you want to be doing ultimately I think that's um very reassuring to hear personally and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that as well and I should start asking questions about pupillage itself. But I think the the most important question, at least for me as someone who's about to start applying, is where do you start? <laughs> um, how do you begin the research? There are so many chambers, so many different areas. Um, lots of people not 100% sure where they want to go into yet. Um, and it can be very daunting. You can apply to 12 on the gateway. And obviously you can apply to others not, but how would you recommend just starting it? Is it a numbers game or should you really take that time to do the research? I think it's both in a way. When you say the numbers game, I mean, I, and I, I admit I was guilty of this myself in my very, very first year. I know that a lot of students will say, well, I'm not too sure what I want to do. So I'm only going to apply to one or two chambers and see how I get on. Fast forward, you know, 13 years, I, I don't understand that approach at all. Because, you know, it, you, the comments commonly said, you've got to be in it to win it. And I know they were talking about the national lottery. But the same applies to pupillage, because it really is a lottery. So Personally, I think you're given the opportunity, especially because of the way the application process is structured in that it's once a year, take that opportunity to apply to as many chambers as you can. I know some people are concerned that if they are unsuccessful with a particular set of chambers one year, they won't be considered the following year. That position is very, very rare as far as I'm aware now. It used to be the case um, a long time ago, uh, somewhat more, but it's it's rare now that chambers won't consider you if you've had a failed application the previous year. And if that is the case, I would expect to see that on their website. So in if if you're if there's nothing to that effect, I personally wouldn't 
worry about that. And I think it's important now also to note that a lot of chambers are actually doing blind marking. So they don't know who you are at the point that they're marking your application. And they certainly won't know whether you've applied to them the year before. So I think apply to as many as you can to give yourself the best opportunity. It's as simple as that. Now, where do you start in terms of which sets to apply to? It's, it's a difficult one because I think you have to have some idea of what you want to do roughly. And when I say that, I mean either you have an, a rough idea of the practice areas you want to do or you know that you quite like to try a number of practice areas. And if that's the case, that's fine because there are options for you. Obviously, there are loads of specialist sets that practice specialist areas, whether it's crime, whether it's employment, whether it's family law. But there are also a number of mixed sets or what sometimes called common law sets, which practice a wide range of practice areas. And you'll have some that are civil common law sets. So they, they do a lot of practice areas, but only civil areas. And then you have some that are sometimes referred to as true common law sets that literally do do everything. So my chamber, Seventh Bedford Row, for example, is a, a true common law set. We have criminal group, we've got family, we've got personal injury, clinical negligence, uh, employment, etc., etc., etc. If you're not certain which area you want to specialise in, and frankly, it's it always surprises me that people are certain that which areas they want to um, specialise in because it's often the case that you don't really know what you're going to like until you've done it. And that's a perfectly normal and understandable position to be in. If that is the case, I think perhaps focus on common law sets because they will give you the opportunity to try lots of areas of law. And it may be the case that you think that you would like a particular area, but once you start practicing it, you don't like it as much as you thought you would. And vice versa, there might there may be areas you don't think you will like particularly, but when you start practicing them, um, you absolutely love. When I was at university, I hated criminal law. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say it. It was my worst grade of all the modules at university. I did not enjoy it in one bit. And yet here I am, all these years later, a criminal practitioner. So if that's not proof for you, then I don't, I don't know what is. But if you do know, then that's great. And, you know, you, you really need to be looking at sets that practice those areas predominantly. And I say predominantly because I know sometimes... Uh, and, and it's quite common these days that sets of chambers will put every single area that anybody in their chambers practices in. But it might be that there's only one or two people who practice in that area. If that area is your number one absolute favourite and the, the practice group that you want to, to, to move into, it's probably a better idea that you focus on a set of chambers that does much more of that work to increase your chances in turn of being able to specialise in that area. So you do need to do research. Um, you need to do research for your own benefit so that you know which type of chambers, you know, what's on offer, but also so that chambers can be satisfied that you know who they are. Because one of the questions you will almost always be asked either in an application or at an interview, is why do you want to join our chambers? 
And it's, you, it, it's helpful to have an answer to that question in advance. And the best way to know that, I mean, obviously, if you've been fortunate to get a mini pupillage with that set, then you may have an answer that absolutely rolls off your tongue. Um, but alternatively, you're going to need to do some research into chambers to get an idea of what that chambers is about. And fortunately, in 2021, the internet is available to all of us and you, you have that opportunity. So there's no excuse, I think, now to not do some research in, into chambers to get an idea of what chambers is about, what areas they practice in. Um, I've sat on interview panels before where candidates have said, and I really am interested in intellectual property law, and I know that my chambers at that time didn't do international intellectual property law. Um, so you start to wonder sometimes how much effort has really been put into your applications. Definitely. I'm sure that person was kicking themselves once they realised. Um, but I guess, I, on, <laughs> I guess on that point, you do have to choose the chambers that suits you as well as understanding of how competitive it is and wanting to apply to all the chambers because I guess the answer to a lot of us, for a lot of us to why there's chambers is just any chambers at some point but how important do you think it is to kind of get that understanding of chambers kind of working environment values um, and kind of understanding what it is going to be like to work there I think it is important effectively when you know your pupillage year you're going to spend more time in chambers and with your chambers colleagues than you will with your own family most likely so you need to be reasonably confident that it's a place you want to be and that they are people you want to be with now obviously it's difficult to do that you know it can be difficult to do that if you've not physically met people but again, using the internet, you can usually get a sense of what particular chambers stands for and what the sort of what the environment is like. So, for example, you might, you know, lots of chambers, most chambers, I imagine, are on Twitter now, or if not Twitter, LinkedIn or some other social media. And you can get a sense of what what's going on in that chambers by looking at their Twitter feed, following their Twitter feed. And I apologise, I'm not on Twitter, so I may use the wrong terminology. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I won't go as far as saying friending them on Twitter. But, uh, <laughs> but you get a sense of what's going on in, in that chambers from, you know, looking at their engagement with social media. Podcasts is another one. Podcasts are, you know, incredibly popular these days. I, I think the pandemic did us all a favour uh, and made us realise that we don't need to go very far to speak to people. Um, so lots of chambers are creating podcasts where, you know, and they're done in a you know, reasonably informal way, similarly to the conversation we're having. And again, you get a sense of the types of people that are in that chamber. So for example, if like me, you're somebody who is quite a laid back person, jokey and likes having fun and laughing, and you get a sense from listening to a podcast in a particular chambers that it's very formal, you might think, well, actually, I don't think that's the type of place that I would want to be. And now they are, you know, almost certainly it would be a good chambers and the people there would be very nice. But if it's not the sort of environment you can see yourself in, that's something to consider. 
similarly, you may, um, if, for example, diversity is an issue for you, it might be that you want to have a look on their website and see to what extent that Chambers is diverse, according to whichever um, characteristic you're considering. So it may be ethnicity, it may be sex, uh, gender, it may be um, disability, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is, but you can have a look at Chambers, see sometimes Chambers, uh, members of Chambers will put a little bit about themselves or their backgrounds, and you get a sense of who is in that Chambers and if you think it's, it's somewhere that you would aspire to be. Um, so these are all things that you can do that, again, they don't cost anything and it doesn't require you to have physically gone to that Chambers or spoken to anybody. But again, some, there are opportunities to speak to members of Chambers. You can attend the pupillage fairs. Lots of Chambers these days sign up to pupillage fairs and there are quite a few pupillage fairs throughout this, the season. And you can speak to members of those chambers and ask them any questions that you may have. And I think it's great. Um, I've done pupillage fairs a few times now, and it's always great when students do ask very direct questions that they want to know, specific questions about your chambers. And I think, you know, I absolutely welcome that because my motto in life is if you don't ask, you don't get. And if you don't ask the question you want to know, you'll never know. So I think these these are sorts of things that you can be thinking of, thinking of. Definitely, I think in the in the position that I'm in when I'm applying, it's kind of like, oh, I guess I have to mold myself to the chambers and mold my answers to what they want. But I think it is really important for us all to be also thinking, actually, what do I want from a chambers and where am I going to be happy? Because it is a stressful year pupillage year um, absolutely and hopefully we'll be staying there longer and it will be somewhere we all want to stay so i think that is very important but how <laughs> i guess we're all applying saying we've all got pretty good academics we're all very interested in our areas of law and we all probably have a million things in our CVs of extracurriculars how do we make our application stand out to the panel that's a really good question, Kira, because you're absolutely right. Um, it <laughs> it sh shocks me when I'm marking pupillage applications. The, the, the standard of applications just increases every single year. And I, I look at it sometimes and I think, oh, my gosh, if I was just coming out of university now, I don't know how I'd make it through the field. <laughs> because you're right, everybody's got wonderful academics, 101 different extracurricular activities and many of them are the same types of things so every, most people engage with mooting or debating at some point in their academic studies and it is difficult to stand out I think what the, the best way to look at it is to take a step back because there is a, a lot of focus on mooting on debating on pro bono work paralegaling etc but I think the best way to do it is take a step back and look at yourself and what actually makes you you. And I'm a big fan of lists. I write lists for everything. I write lists to remind myself to make bed in the morning, um, what to buy at the supermarket, but also when any time I'm doing any form of application. Write a list about you and who you are and what you've done. And literally just write down every single achievement that you that you've achieved throughout your life and anything that you're proud of and and 
I kid you not, it, this absolutely works. And I still do this now. Believe it or not, the applications don't finish uh, after pupillage. I still do this now. So I write down now, for example, I might write about a particular case that I'm proud of or that, you know, tested me. Write down any all of your achievements on, in a list and think about which ones are less common. So it might be, and again, it doesn't have to be related to the law, sometimes better yet if it's not. It might be that, I don't know, you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro to raise funds for charity while you were at sixth form. That is, a lot of people would look at that and think, well, there's nothing particularly special about that. But there must have been something special to make you want to do it in the first place. And more importantly, whilst there may be one or two other people in the cohort of 3,000 or however many are applying for pupillage that year, the fact is you are going to be one of a very small minority. So immediately you stand out. It may be that you, I don't know, applied to go on Bake Off and you got through to the finals or whatever it is. These are all things that make you stand out. They're not related to the law specifically, but what they do is they tell us about who you are. And that's what standing out is about. It's not, it, it's very, very difficult to stand out academically in a very crowded field. It, it's very difficult. And similarly, it's very difficult to stand out in terms of any extracurricular activities you may have done, because the reality is most people sign up for their extracurricular activities through university, through bar school, which means that there are umpteen other people who have signed up to do the same thing. What I'm interested in, and I say me personally, when I'm marking applications, is what else have you done? Who are you? What other interests are, uh, do you have? What sort of person are you? Are you a rounded person or are you a person that is only, fo you know, is, is very focused on their work, which is good, but it's very important to have a life outside of that and to have interests and activities that keep you going and that keep you balanced because it gets very difficult as you move as you progress in your career but even from the very early days you'll be overwhelmed at points with work and it's very important to have something else that grounds you outside of that and that's what I'm looking for so I'm looking for people who are interesting and it doesn't matter what your interest is once it is interesting and everybody has something interesting about them which is a fact that's very true and i think it is so important that we just kind of kind of take the time to think about what we can bring which isn't directly related to our academics um because everyone can offer something so integral which they probably don't even realize or haven't put it on a cv or haven't put on applications before but could really be a deciding factor that's right, Kira. And I think it's also important to remember that if you haven't, for example, followed the what I'll call traditional trajectory, which is school, university, bar school, pupillage, that opens up an absolute wealth of opportunities, to, of things to write about on your application. I'll say this, when I applied for pupillage the second time round, so when I came back from Grenada, it was so much easier 
um, writing my applications because I had loads of things to talk about because I'd been working for five years. I had cases to talk about. I had experiences. I had committees I'd worked on. All of my professional achievements, which, yes, were legal, but they may not have been. So I say that to emphasize that for people who have not taken that and I get I say in inverted commas, traditional route. Um, so who may be late appliers to the bar or people who are having a career change, you, by virtue of the fact of having had a career, will of necessity have so many things that you can, that, that make you stand out. And people often don't think about it. And after, when you point it out to them, they say, oh, yes, actually, that's a good idea. So it may be that you... I don't know, you were um, involved, you managed a group of 10, 15, 20 people, whatever it is, you know, that these are things we want to know about. They, they tell us about you and who you are and the sorts of things that you've been doing. And I think for those who, for those of us who have had experiences outside of university or ac academics, there are so, so many um things that you can write about, including your applications, that will make you stand out of necessity. Definitely. I've been to a number of talks recently with people who are doing career changes, um, kind of concerned that they are coming along a lot later. But I think you're so right that, that life experiences in general are just going to really stand out on their applications which makes Absolutely. it more scary for the grads. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll all get that. You will. It's just that there are different, it's, you know, you're coming at it from different, think about it this way, you're you're approaching the motorway from two different junctions, but you both end up in the same place at the, at, uh, in the end. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, and especially with COVID, I guess, there's been a concern of lack of experience, but I guess with everything that you've been saying that, Whilst it is important that you get that experience, it's not something to be having sleepless nights over that you haven't done a certain number of minis or you haven't been able to take part in a certain number of moots. Absolutely not. I mean, the good thing about COVID, and I say good thing because we struggle to find positives, but the only thing, you know, we've all experienced it together. So we, the, the people marking your applications and assessing your um your interviews we know what the position is we know that chambers have had to cancel mini pupillages or suspend their mini pupillage programs we know that because we've all had to do it so of course that is um, taken into account and again it's thinking about things that you can do outside of that thankfully with the help of technology a lot of chambers have been doing um alternatives so for example a lot of chambers have been doing virtual mini pupillages. Students often ask, well, is that, you know, is it worth the same thing? Well, in the same way that you'll be commended for the initiative for applying for a mini pupillage, you will equally be commended for the initiative in applying to, to do a virtual mini pupillage. It's, it's not the same in terms of the experience you will get necessarily, but in terms of demonstrating your commitment to the bar, and why not? Um, because you're doing what you what what is available to you, and that's you know we can't ask any more than that. Definitely, I do hope some of those continue because I know as someone who who lives in Stoke, being able to do some of the minis and the kind of summer schools as they're calling them 
online has just been so useful um, and I really think it has increased access to a lot of people which hopefully in-person minis will return but also I think it would be great if Chambers kept on providing those to kind of expand the access available for people. Well that's very good feedback Kira. I'll make sure to to, <laughs> to, to pass on the word. Any uh, any barristers do. listening there you go. No I, abs- I agree with you 100%. I think it, it's a wonderful invention. It's amazing the things that COVID has forced us to to learn to do uh, and to adapt to and I think yes long may it continue not COVID but online things but without covid that would be great (laughs) um as someone who is on the panel and also is doing the pupillage interviews are there any kind of bugbears that you just think someone says or someone does and you're just like no sorry (laughs) my number one i have two bugbears one for written applications and one for interviews my number one bugbear for written a- applications is the failure to use spell check. Okay. Spell check and the little red lines underneath the words has been around in existence <laughs> since Microsoft Word was invented, as far as I'm aware. And yet some people still don't use it. And I never understand that. People have varying abilities in terms of writing and I fully appreciate and understand that there may be people who have either a learning difficulty or who are neurodivergent they may have uh, dyslexia dyspraxia etc and I entirely understand that so this is not aimed that's this not that is not (laughs) what this is aimed at most people will remember to press sp I think it is I think it's actually changed now but anyway the document will let you know when there's an error and you should always uh, investigate that. If you're certain that it's incorrect, for example, your computer may be on American word and it's changing your labor, O-U-R, to labor, O-R, <laughs> fair enough. But absolutely press spell check. If at all possible, ask somebody to proofread your document because the more you look at a, a screen or a piece of paper, and I'm guilty of this as well, your eyes get used to what it expects to see and you don't necessarily see your own errors. So my top tip for written applications is to ask somebody to, to proofread it. And most of us can find one friend. It's really helpful, you know, if, if you've got a friend who's doing the bar course with you, swap, you read theirs, they read yours. I know, I, I think there's a somewhat, somewhat taboo somewhere that people say that they, you shouldn't read each other's applications. Well, I, I don't agree with that at all. I, you know, I think there's a lot to be learned from reading your friend's applications for them and, and perhaps pointing out to them where you think they, they can improve. I did it when I was at basketball. I had a very uh, good friend who very kindly read my application. He had already achieved pupillage read my application and gave me feedback on it, which was absolutely invaluable. I think people should be encouraged to do that personally. And, you know, not only will they give you positive feedback where necessary, but they might say, you've missed out a word or you spelt judgment wrong or whatever. And there you go, problem solved. So that's my written application bugbear. My interview bugbear is people who are not themselves. 
we as barristers are not only expert advocates, we are experts at reading people, particularly criminal barristers, but in fact, anybody who really has to engage with any witnesses in the course of a hearing or a trial. And we are experts at telling when witnesses are lying on the stand, but equally, we're experts at telling when you are trying to be somebody that you're not. And you may think that you're doing a really good job of concealing it, but we all we will see through it. And it's a bugbear of mine because more often than not, that person's natural personality, because sometimes it seeps through, which totally gives the game away. But more often than not, that person is a wonderfully charming, polite, somebody who you could absolutely get on with. But People often have a, a preconception, and I was guilty of it. I used to believe that barristers had to be and act a certain way. I just thought that's what it was. And particularly if you've not had much interaction with barristers in your life prior to that, you may have an idea that barristers are supposed to be a certain way, barristers are supposed to speak a certain way. That's absolutely not the case. We There are so many different types of barristers in this country there are so many i mean for as many personalities as there are generally there is a type of barrister i say that to say you become you as a barrister be yourself you will be so much more relaxed during the course of your interview which means you'll be much more confident which means in turn that your interview will be so much better it really frustrates me when we have candidates who are otherwise very, very good, you know, academically, they're, they're very good. They've done, a, you know, all of their achievements are wonderful on paper. They're absolutely perfect. But then they come to the interview and they try to be a particular way that we can tell that that's not who they are. And it's such a shame. It really is. So be yourself that I wish every single person who comes to an interview would come as their normal self, bring yourself to that interview, bring your personality to that interview, whether you're wild and wacky, like you may feel I am, or whether you're much more serious and sedate, it doesn't matter, but just be you. Yeah, I guess interview nerves can kind of manifest in so many different ways, but It'd probably be, I mean, that's very reassuring to hear. And I'm sure it's it's a lot easier to be yourself. <laughs> so knowing that when you go into interview, just just be yourself. That's the thing. <laughs> it's so much harder to try. And I, of course, you're right that, you know, people get nervous and that's only normal. But it's you're putting so much more pressure on yourself trying to remember the person you're supposed to be. than if you just be natural <laughs> and be yourself, it's a, a million, million, million times better. And I guess on the flip side, then, what are perhaps two things that when you see in an application or that you see in an interview, you think, wow, they've they've really got this? I'm not sure that I could pinpoint anything in particular. I mean, I think you need you need to, to really know what this job is about. I think I think that is important. And, you know, Many people are just great for that. But even just speaking to barristers, again, the world is so much more open now. Many barristers are on Twitter or on LinkedIn or whatever it is. And most 
will, if asked, you know, have a five minute conversation with you, 10 minutes or whatever it is to answer any questions that you might have or, you know, to, for, to, for you to get to the bottom of it. Because I, there's, I'll tell you a joke. Myself and a group of friends, a few years into our profession, we were all at bar school together and it was quite late one night and I was up drafting something and I messaged one of them and she was up drafting something and somebody else was up drafting something. And I said, well, what's going on? Like they didn't teach us this in bar school. And it's become a running joke since then. So anytime effectively that we're doing something that we don't want to be doing at a particular time, we don't want to be doing it. The, the line is they didn't teach us this in bar school. And I said, <laughs> it's a joke, but it's actually true because I didn't, there's lots of aspects of the of being a barrister and of practice, the day-to-day the -day realities of practice that I had no knowledge about. If you're, if I'd spoken to somebody, if I'd spoken to a barrister, I would have found out pretty quickly. So having, you know, understanding these, these nuances, understanding these sorts of things, understanding that, yes, a, you know, a significant part of the job is doing the part that you're paid to do, i.e., you know, drafting submissions, arguing case at court, whatever it is, but also having an idea about the fact that as a self-employed person, you are a business and knowing how to run a business and to market a business. Um, again, these are things that I wasn't taught at bar school, but I needed to figure out quite quickly afterwards. And I had no concept of what it takes to be a business person in the 21st century, which probably explains why I'm not on Twitter. But, <laughs> you know, having, so knowing the, these are the things, and again, these are conversations that I am certain 99% of barristers will be willing to have with you if you reach out to them. So when somebody writes about, you know, the need to, um, the role of marketing, for example, in the profession, I always think, oh, okay, this is somebody that really knows what to expect. And they won't be having the conversation with their friends about they didn't teach us this because they know what, you know, they know what they're coming into. And I, I admire that. I admire that. So I think that's something, that's what I like to see. I like to see that somebody has thought it through. They know what to expect. They know what they're coming into and they're ready for it. Amazing. So no, nothing too hard then. <laughs> no, I mean, I say that. It's not, you'll never be ready. Um, I don't think I'm ready 13 years in, Kira. So um, you'll <laughs> never be fully ready. But I think it, it it's exciting. For me, I, I find it exciting to see somebody who's, genuine who has a passion for for this who has a passion for the bar um because it reminds me of the passion i had albeit blind passion um, <laughs> but you know somebody that has a passion and that's excited to get going um because they're going to learn they're going to achieve and they're going to rise up and there is nothing better than seeing somebody who you knew as a student for example move on to get pupillage move on to get tenancy and then start you know getting ranked in rankings and so on. It's absolutely wonderful. It's an absolutely wonderful, wonderful feeling. And you can often tell who those people are going to be for, by looking at their applications and read it and seeing them interview. Definitely. I think everyone just is very, very aware of all the different things we need to know and eager to, to kind of get started and find out as much as we can. So hopefully... Um, we'll all be joining those ranks soon. 
I was going to ask a very specific question that I didn't know if you would know, um, but has come up in a couple of group chats that I'm in about pupillage, well, international students seeking pupillage and whether there are any kind of difference that people need to be aware of or any support from the inn that they could specifically get? I know that um, it can be difficult for international students, not because they're international per se, but when dealing with visa requirements. I don't profess to be an expert in immigration law, but I do know that uh, there are uh, particular restrictions, restrictions on particular um, student visas, for example, and types of visas that permit you to work in the UK or don't. What I would say is I, I know that the Bar Council has a, a very helpful page on their website with a, a set of advice for international students and in particular visa requirements and sponsorship. What I would say is this, there isn't a, a hard and fast rule in terms of the ability for international students to achieve pupillage. My understanding is that those decisions are made either within chambers or otherwise. My view is, as an international student, the, the first thing you should think about doing, and you'd be absolutely well within your rights to do, is to contact that chambers and say, what are your what is your position respect of international students? Or, for example, do you require pupils to have the right to work in the UK if, if that's something that is uh, affects you? it's much, much better to find that out in advance and then proceed with your application um, rather than spend a lot of time working on an application only to find out much later down the stage. And it could be, you know, God forbid, but it could be at the stage of first round, second round interview, for example, that there is a requirement. Sometimes on applications, you'll see that Chambers will say that the person must have the right to work in the UK but if it, if in doubt, you should always ask. The inns are, of course, able to uh, assist you uh, with any questions you have. And if they don't know the answer, I'm sure that they are they will be able to point you in the direction uh, of somebody who who does. Um, but as you say, I know that there are lots of student groups. Unfortunately, at bar schools, often the careers departments at the bar schools. There are, of course, a lot of international students that study in, in the UK, the bar in the UK, so they may also be able to assist. But I think that, you know, if, if in doubt, always ask. You have absolutely nothing, nothing to lose and everything to gain. Amazing. I think people, well, I know a lot of people who don't know always where to get that practical advice. So I thought it was worth asking the question and I'm sure that would be very helpful for, for a lot of people. And I did want to ask as a final kind of question, if there was one piece of advice you could give to yourself when you were applying for pupillage, what would it be? <gasps> oh, gosh. <laughs> Big question. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um... Honestly, if I could, if I could live my life again, I, I, I'm very happy being a, a, with the practice that I have, which is mostly criminal law, financial crime, and professional discipline. I'm very happy with that. I think if I could live my life again, I think I would have liked the opportunity to practice in 
more practice areas, to have a broader practice. When I came back from Grenada, when I was in Grenada, I had a very broad practice and there were lots of areas that I was very happy to leave behind. But when I came back to the UK, I went to criminal set and that, you know, thereafter my my practice groups were much narrower. Now, I say all of that, I was once told by a very lovely and now sadly deceased QC that you can't be good at everything. And I think I am probably guilty of wanting to be good at everything, which is, um, <laughs> probably says more about me. But uh, I think I think that would have been my advice would have been to make my to be a bit slower, a bit more hesitant in making my decisions. I think I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like I say, I love criminal practice, but. Perhaps I would have loved intellectual property law as well. Who knows? <laughs> so I think don't overthink. That's probably how I, if, if I had to reduce it to a nutshell, don't <laughs> overthink things. I think we're all guilty of it at times, but uh, it can be very limiting for you. So don't overthink things. One other last piece of advice, give it your best shot. You know, don't do like I did and apply to two and think, oh, well, let's hope. Give it, just, just give it a go, but put, you know, give it a good effort. And if at, first, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. There you go. I've got lots of cliches in there tonight. <laughs> all of it. That is very interesting, though, because I think there is a lot of pressure to kind of pick a specialty and go into it immediately. So to be told to slow down and kind of take a step back and consider different things, that's very interesting. Always. You'll be surprised at the amount of things that life will you know the opportunities that present themselves to you when you allow yourself to be presented with them definitely well hopefully anyway <laughs> but that is all of the questions that I have for you it's been absolutely amazing talking to you and I've definitely learned a lot so I hope somebody else has also benefited from this thank um, you but thank you so so much no, thank you. And if 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 it's only you, I'll still be happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review. And for more information, check us out on Twitter at AGI Students.